I turn your attention this morning to the book of Psalms, chapter 62, and reading verse 1, Psalms, chapter 62, and verse 1, it reads as follows, truly my soul waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation. Several other translations say that same verse this way. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. I want to speak this morning on this subject, a season of silence. A season of silence. You may be seated and thank you. For standing. John chapter 12 and verse 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. A farmer will sow the seed in late winter or early spring, depending on what part of the country he is in and what he is planting. That seed will go down in the ground. It will be silent and invisible for some time. But it does not mean that the seed is not working. It has to die. Under the earth, in solitude, and quietness, in order to bring forth much fruit. David knew what it was to wait on the Lord. Many of the psalms that we read were written by David. And many of these psalms, when you read, you'll realize that David went through many of the things that you and I are going through. David knew what it was to have to deal with a God that was silent. He spent years wondering why he was facing a quiet God, a silent God, a God that apparently was not intervening, a God that was not delivering him from his enemies. He had been anointed as a young man to be the next king, but then he was sent back to the shepherd field. He was rejected by his father. His father did not even invite him up to the house when Samuel the prophet came to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the next king. Certainly David would not be in that lineup, so there's no reason to call him in from the shepherd field. So he was rejected, and it wasn't until the prophet said, Are these all of your sons? Well, almost as an afterthought, there is this one other son. Samuel walked with God and said, we're not going to sit down until he gets here. He knew he was the chosen one. But then David was rejected by his brothers as he brought him a lunch down on the battlefield in the valley of Elah as they were fighting the Philistines, or at least were at a standoff. 
As that great Philistine Goliath challenged the armies of Israel. He was rejected by his family. Soon he would be rejected by his king out of jealousy, King Saul. He was a fugitive from justice, running for his life for many years. All the while, heaven was silent. He was anointed, but he was not yet appointed. Sometimes there's a big gap between when you're anointed and when you are appointed. And that gap is a season of silence. You wonder if heaven has lost your zip code. You're in that season of silence, that cone of quietness. It's during this time that you have to reach down and find your faith to trust God. When you hear God's silence and you feel His absence, you have to trust His presence. I said, when you hear God's silence and you feel His absence, you have to trust His presence. You got to know that God is preparing you for the promise. God doesn't have to prepare the promise. He has to prepare the person for the promise. The Lord didn't have to prepare the promised land. It was there ready. He had to prepare the children of Israel for the promised land. The promise that He has given you is ready for you. He's just got to work on the person so we can know that we're ready for the promise that God has already made. Silence does not mean absence. It means preparation. God is preparing you for something. Something big. And the longer the silence, the bigger the promise. Sometimes in the legal world, clients get anxious. They want their money. They want it now. Sometimes you have to remind people, I know you've been injured. I know you're uncomfortable. I know the doctor bills are adding up. But just know, the longer it takes, the bigger the prize. The more still the other side, the greater the final outcome. Don't let the silence bother you. It's for your benefit. Sometimes God has to hide what's really valuable. If you have something of great value, you don't just show it off to everyone. You keep it hid, safe at home. Or in a bank, maybe even a, a safe deposit box. You don't go around telling everybody that you have a rare coin. Thieves may try to come and steal it. So you keep it hid. You keep it safe. And when the time is right, and you know the treasure is safe, you can reveal it. Sometimes God's got something very valuable for you. But He's got to keep it hid. He's got to keep it safe. For when the time is right. Oh, hallelujah. You got to realize that the longer the season of silence, the greater the harvest is going to be, the more valuable the reward is going to be. Hallelujah. You may walk on this earth in a long season of silence, but you better know that God is going to have the final say. And God has got a destiny and a promise prepared for each and every one of us. 
returning 200 years ago from the New World to a Europe that was engulfed by the Napoleonic Wars. Spanish Rear Admiral Don Jose Bustamante led a fleet of four frigates to a tragic homecoming. South of Portugal's Cape St. Mary, British warships spotted the Spaniards in October of 1804 and ordered them to change course and sail for England. Bustamante refused. A battle erupted in Spain's 36-gun Nuestra de la Mercedes exploded and sank, breaking like an egg, dumping her yoke into the deep, according to a Spanish account. The ship took with it more than a million silver dollars, freshly minted in Spain's American colonies, documents of the time suggest. The lost booty became the stuff of legend, one of the world's great sunken treasures. But in the spring of 2007, modern technology caught up with sea hunting lore when a U.S.-based salvage company from Tampa, Florida called Odyssey Marine Explorations announced that it had found a 17-ton hoard of silver and gold artifacts, including about 500,000 coins at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Estimated value, $500 million. Only they did not announce it until they had salvaged it up from the bottom of the sea, transported it by ship to Florida, and slipped it into vaults at a private bank in Florida. Only then, when it was safe, did they announce that they had a treasure. Oh, my friend, if you could see the treasure that God has for you. It may not be measured in monetary value, but if you could see the future and see what God has in store for you, you'd never get discouraged, not one day. If you could see the healings, the miracles, the protection, the hand of God upon your family and your marriage and your health. If you could see what God has for you, you'd never be discouraged, not one moment. But God may have it hid for now. We've all seen examples of how people got too much too soon and it ruined them. Athletes or movie stars that are given large sums of money at a young age and they self-destruct. It's human nature. Too much, too soon, destroys. If you and I could get a revelation of the treasure that God has for us, it's greater than the treasure they brought up from the seas on the outskirts of Portugal. It's greater than any monetary value. It would blow your mind if you knew what your Father has prepared for you. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11 says, If ye, ye humans, being evil, we have a fallen nature, know how to give good gifts. In other words, the Word of God is saying, if you and your humanity, that fallen flesh, born in sin, shaping in iniquity, but even in the midst of that, if you know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more. Somebody shout back to me, much more. How much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, 
give good gifts, good things to them that ask Him. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, my friend, just because you don't see it right now doesn't mean that it's not prepared for you. He said, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Oh, I want to declare to somebody today, under the sound of my voice, that God has prepared a place for you. And it's not just eternity and it's not just heaven. But I believe that in this life, if you can find a way to walk through the silence, if you can find a way to put one foot in front of the other and said, I don't see the hand of God, but like Job, he knows the way that I take. I go forward. I don't see him. He's not on either side. I'm in a season of silence, but the seed is in the ground and it's going to come up. I said, it's going to come up. There's going to be a harvest. Hallelujah. So I just got to walk through these winter months. I just got to walk through this season of silence and I got to say, bless the Lord anyhow. My God is a faithful God and he will keep me. An important aspect of silence and solitude along with simplicity and frugality is that we must deny ourselves some of this overload of sensation to listen to the voice of God in our spirit. Modern people, especially in Western culture, we eschew silence. We're not really all that comfortable with it. And we really eschew solitude for several reasons. Number one, they require great trust in God. Because as Richard Foster wrote in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, the tongue is our most powerful weapon of manipulation so we feel that if we're not shaping events in our favor no one is and we live in a world that has a lot of voices a lot of megaphones a lot of shouting social media friends people on their phones everybody's got an opinion news media news outlets it doesn't matter where you are there'll be somebody that'll speak and sometimes you can hear everybody else speaking but it appears that God is not speaking it requires a great trust it requires great faith to walk with God when heaven is silent number two we want to experience as much as possible and the sensations available to experience today are essentially limitless Number three, we want to use every minute doing something that we can measure, such as making money or gathering experiences. So if we have poor spiritual resources within, we seek to define ourselves in terms of outward things, such as money or accomplishments or fame or something that can be quantified. In a postmodern society that you and I are a part of, we are infected with something called monomania. Monomania is an excessive occupation with one idea or concept. We have monomania. This postmodern culture that you and I are a part of suffers from the monomania of accounting. Accounting. We want to be able to measure it. We want to be able to count it. For us, the only thing that has value is what can be counted in dollars and minutes. 
It never hesitates to sacrifice human life to figures which look well on paper, such as national budgets or industrial balance sheets. I could do a whole seminar this morning on cost-risk analysis where large companies decide that it's worth it for 500 people to die in an accident rather than take the money that it costs to remake that automobile. It's the bottom line that drives the world that you and I are a part of. So it stands to reason that if God is silent, when everything else is being measured and everything else is broadcasting the measurement of that success, then there must be a problem when heaven is not broadcasting the measurement of spiritual success. We think that we are wasting time and resources in a season of silence. But I've come to tell you today that thankfully the Word of God is not subject to social norms. So it shows us the way out of the woods. It shines a light on the path to our promise and it gives us a reassurance that you and I in the midst of the silent night of uncertainty we can find a confidence in the word of God that says God is going to have the final say in all matters I've come to preach to somebody today that God keeps good books you just stay faithful you just walk with God and in the end it's going to be worth it all Oh, you ought to clap your hands under the Lord. I said, it's going to be worth it all. Psalms chapter 37 and verse 7. David says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. You'll find this throughout all the Psalms. He says, fret not thyself. Because of him who prospereth in his way. Because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. A season of silence. It would appear that everybody else is moving forward at full steam. And you are stuck. I know sometimes we think about Ukraine and sometimes we think about the war going on there. But can you imagine those people that live in it every day? And it appears like they're stuck. Why doesn't God reach down and do something about it? Can you imagine how the Jews felt as they were being led to those gas chambers? Where's the God of Israel? Why would he allow us to suffer like this? This question that I present to you today is the dilemma for billions of people around the world. How could God allow that to happen? What in the world is a loving God doing allowing Jews to be led to a gas chamber? But it was after that Holocaust, the British initiative that brought forth the land of Israel that we think of today. It was through the sacrifice of those people's lives that they now have a land. That's why they're willing to fight and die for it. They didn't have that before the Holocaust. But I've come to tell you today... Though you and I may not suffer such tragic times, I'm here to tell you that you go through times of silence where you'll wonder why you've gotten that report from the doctor. I remember even last year, I was praying in frustration one day to God. And I said, Lord, you protected us through COVID. But it seems like that we're battling cancer. 
in east wind and I come against that sickness uh, and I prayed against it and we fasted and we prayed as a church individually and collectively. I complained to God when I lost my friend Steve Gailey. I'm still complaining about some people that are not healed. But all oh, just last Wednesday night, I announced to this church that in the last two weeks, we have gotten reports of three people that were diagnosed with an in, incurable in cancer that now the doctors say the cancer is gone or it's in remission. Oh, I've come to declare to this church today. I don't know what season of silence you're in, but there is a God who is a faithful God. When it looks like the wicked have no hindrance, and yet you are struggling in silence. David said, fret not yourself, cease from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth for yet a little while. Somebody say a little while. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. This past week I had a pastor friend of mine call me and leave a message and say, You don't have to call me back, I just... Want to hear your voice, and I'm just lonely. But you don't have to call me back. Well, of course, I immediately called him back. He's the person if I called his name this morning. Most of the congregation wouldn't know him. And I called him back, and we talked for a little bit, and he started sharing with me some challenges that he was having. And he said, uh, My wife said to me, she called him by his first name. You're not trying to take revenge, are you? He said, my wife is like the Pentecostal librarian. She doesn't say five words a year. Wow, she is quiet. But he said, she's like E.F. Hutton. When she speaks, you better listen. And she said, you're not trying to take vengeance, are you? He said, no, of course not. Why would you think that? Because she said, I know your nature. I've been married to you for 50 years. You're not trying to take vengeance, are you? Because if you are, you're a thief. He said, what do you mean I'm a thief if I'm taking vengeance? She said, the Bible says that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It belongs to God. And if you're trying to take revenge, you're stealing what belongs to God. So you're a thief. I said, brother, all these years I thought all these great sermons came from the Lord and now I realize these great sermons you've preached all over the country, they've come from your wife. I'm so glad God gave her that revelation and she gave it to her husband and he gave it to me and I'm giving it to you. I don't care what happens, don't take vengeance. It belongs to God. 
You got to be like David. He said, I've seen the wicked prosper all, but when it's all said and done, it's going to be the meek that inherit the earth. So delight yourself in the abundance of peace. I'm going to bless the Lord anyhow. I'm going to glorify God anyhow. Even though it appears that the wicked prosper, those that are being faithful are left in silence. Elijah had a great victory on Mount Carmel when he called fire down from heaven. He thought it would bring a great revival in the nation of Israel, but instead it brought greater threats from Jezebel. Elijah goes down to Beersheba. He drops his servant off. He goes out in the wilderness by himself to die. He crawls under a juniper tree and says, It's enough. I request that you take me, Lord. Sometimes when heaven is silent and your enemies are loud, you get weary. God does not say anything to him. He just sends an angel to feed him. Sometimes God does not speak. He just provides. You can't see it now, but one day you're going to look back and you're going to see where through that season of silence, when heaven seemed to be shut up, there was a God that still met my needs. He still provided for my family. There was still a God that kept me in the palm of His hand. Just because you may not be hearing an audible voice from God, uh, even though you may not feel the presence of angels at your the foot of your bed flapping their wings, uh, you can go to the Word of God uh, and you can know that God is faithful. Like David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. God will provide. Elijah travels 40 days to Mount Horeb is also known as Mount Sinai. He travels 40 days in the wilderness to get to the mountain where the law was given. There he crawls up in a cave in that great mountain. Elijah's weary. He's ready for God to take him. He's tired. But he still has enough faith to go to where the word was given. He's hurting. He's heavy laden. But he crawls up in the Word. Sometimes you got to just crawl up in the Word. I don't understand everything going on around me. I don't have an explanation for my circumstances. But I'm going to just crawl up in the Word of God. And I'm going to get my hope. And I'm going to get my strength. Yea, I'm even going to get my joy in the Word of God. For His promises are yea and amen. His Word shall forever be established. Heaven and earth may pass away. But the Word of God shall not pass away. The Lord speaks to him and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah says, I've been faithful, Lord. I've been a good servant. But I'm the only one left. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets. And now they seek my life. Jezebel has declared that about this time tomorrow, I'll be gone as well. So why don't you just go ahead and take me? It's over, God. It's all over. 
don't hear anything else I say today, remember this. It's not over until God says it's over. I don't care if the doctor says it's over. I don't care if your boss says it's over. I don't care if your spouse says it's over. I don't care if friends say it's over. It's not over until God says it's over. God says, go to the wilderness and anoint Hazel to be king of Syria and Jehu to be king of Israel. And oh, by the way, go and get Elisha, your prophet, who's going to be replacing you. I, I looked at that and I got so excited because he told him to go anoint the king of the opposing nation. God's in charge of the leaders for the countries we like and the countries we don't like. You didn't want to hear that, did you? If God didn't want Putin to be in charge of Russia, he wouldn't be the president of Russia or whatever he is. You ought to read your Bible. The Bible says that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. The rejection of Pharaoh from letting the children of Israel go out was not some accident, some cosmic accident that surprised heaven. It was God that hardened his heart. You know why? So the children of Israel would see the miracles of God. Knew they needed faith going out in that wilderness. He knew that their God was Egypt and that God had to die so that he would be lifted up. You may go through some rough times. It's because God is saying, you need a new God in your life. You need to know I'm your Jehovah Jireh. I'm your provider. I'm the one that can do the impossible. He's got to subtract from you. Before he can add to you. Go back to the wilderness, God says. We got business to take care of. And oh, by the way, Elijah, I have 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed the knee to Baal and have not kissed him with their mouth. In other words, newsflash, Elijah, you're not alone. It's not over. The enemy wants to make you think you're alone. The enemy wants to make that brother feel like he's alone in Ukraine. The enemy makes you wants you to feel like you're alone on your job. You're alone in your family of unbelievers. I'm here to tell you that the devil is a liar. You're not alone. You may be in a season of silence, but there is an invisible hand of God that is guiding you and directing you. And God is at work more than you realize. He wants me to tell you today. He wants me to remind you today. It's not over yet. Mary and Martha, I know it's difficult to see your brother dying and no word from Jesus. But just know that the silence is not an indication of indifference. It's a setup for a breakthrough. A resurrection is coming. Silence is simply a miracle in the making. Jesus is baptized. There is a voice from heaven that confirms the identity of Jesus. But we don't read about any voice from heaven. When Jesus is praying 
in the garden of Gethsemane. And he is struggling with the upcoming crucifixion because he was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. So he was struggling with having to give himself to this horrific style of execution. There's no reassurance with an audible voice from heaven that this is the time. So Jesus stumbles up that hill with a bloody back and a silent heaven. Silence was a miracle in the making. A resurrection is coming. A breakthrough is coming. Salvation is coming. That's why David said, I'll wait for him in silence. Because my salvation is coming. I know God has got something in store. You've got to get that determination in your mind and in your spirit that God, hallelujah, has something in store for me. And though I do not know what it is, I'm going to hang on to the promises that God has given me since I was a young child. Oh, yes, He has anointed you and the time of appointment is coming, but it may not be here yet. So you may be in a season of silence. I've come to remind you today that that's season will pass but there's a season of harvest that's coming revival is coming your spouse is going to be saved your body is going to be healed you're going to rise up and declare the glory of God so I've come to tell you today though heaven may be silent you don't have to be silent you can wrap yourself up in the Word of God. You can trust God when everything else has fallen apart. But you can lift up your voice like David did. And in the midst of the wilderness, you can declare, My God is great and greatly to be praised. It may appear that the enemy is winning, but it's not over with yet. Stand to your feet this morning. While Elijah hid in that cave... The Lord told him the first time he came to him in a still small voice. Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah made his case. And the Lord told him to come out of that cave. To stand up on top of the mountain. And it would appear from the word of God that Elijah did not obey. Because the next verse we read that Elijah is still in the cave and the Lord comes to him again oh my friend sometimes when you're weary and you're well doing you just want to crawl up in a cave God is saying what are you doing here come out and stand on top of the mountain stand on the promises of God's Come on, get up on top of it and say, this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, thank you, Lord. As Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem, the city came out and threw those palm branches down and they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the Pharisees got upset and said, can't let all these people praise you like you're the Messiah he said leave them alone because if they don't the rocks will cry out silent rocks 
will cry out in praise. The Bible said that where he came at that point in time was at the descent of the Mount of Olives, which is the same location where years before they had built the tabernacle of David. That was a tabernacle established for the purpose of praise because praise is what emboldened, encouraged, and defined the life of David. And the Lord said, your hands are bloody. You can't build the temple. Your son will do it. So David built the tabernacle of David. It wasn't built with a whole lot of funds from the treasuries of Israel because it fell down out of neglect. People forgot that you got to keep on worshiping God through the good and through the bad. And so the Bible said that it fell. It was neglected in disrepair. But all those rocks, they all spread out in that area but they were still sort of still bubbling up with praise though they were silent we read about it in Amos and then Peter quotes the Old Testament when he's preaching in the book of Acts and he says we will restore again the tabernacle of David that's fallen down because there's a praise that's in these silent rocks I know the tendency is to pull back into a cave of self-protection and to be silent when you feel like heaven is silent. But you've got to push through. You've got to come out of the cave and stand up on the mountain. And you've got to lift your voice and say, I will bless the Lord anyhow. I feel like there's a praise that's in this house right here today. Come on, there's some silent rocks that are going to begin to praise God all over this place. Where you're standing or down in this altar, why don't you lift up your voice right now? Why don't you begin to lift your hands? Come on, why don't you begin to declare the glory of God? Come on, let it fill this house. I trust in you, Lord. 